tonight is the night the end of award season and the night of the 93rd academy awards one of us has seen all of the nominees the other one not quite as many but who are we picking as our winners i'm mike and i'm darren and this is popscorn Welcome to Popscorn, the Fans Entertainment Movie Review Podcast and Short Film Review Podcast. Uh, to, today, sadly, still in lockdown. I, I genuinely thought we'd be back out of lockdown to do this, but we're 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 trying to keep to the rules, guys. Um, yeah, twelve months ago we were doing this together, and that was nice. Mm-hmm. This year we're not, but hey, it's Oscar time again. It's possibly the singularly least interesting Oscar season in, in my living memory, anyway. Oh boy, uh, this is going to be an interesting episode for sure. I'm still Mike, by the way. And I'm still Darren. So, if you've listened to any of our previous Oscar podcasts, you know which way round it is. I have seen (laughs) some Oscar movies, uh, but Michael has seen all of them. Uh, It's another Herculean effort, and I'm still very proud of you. Um, But it does allow us to have what is usually a one-sided conversation with a few occasional snippets from me, uh, as we're going to go through... Some of the categories. We're not going to go for all of them uh, in the interest of time. Um, we, we're going to skip uh, largely all the technical awards. Uh, but we've picked out eight categories that we want to talk about. And when we get to the nominations for the Best Picture, at the end, uh, we will go through each of the films that are nominated for that award. So I'm basically here to be a shepherd and commentator on the many, many, many and various thoughts of uh, Michael Owen there. So, uh, yeah, this is... Um, it does feel like it's not got the buzz it usually does. I mean, it's just because cinema's just not been a major part of our lives for the last 12 months, in all honesty. Yeah, you'd be surprised as to... It felt like nothing came out last year. Like It felt like 2020 was a barren wasteland. And yet, there are four more films nominated this year compared to last year. Really? Seriously, I've had to do, I've had to do 41 uh, feature films and, the, and then obviously the 15 shorts, which is the same every year yeah no it was 37 the previous year but although oh, wow. there was a lot of movies that had multiple nominations there's not as many this year right did you manage to get everything done i did yes uh, so like i said all 41 uh, of the features all 15 of the shorts i watch i'll be real with you i watched the last one this morning and i disliked it so much i bailed 40 minutes in but i'm counting it as <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, because last year so I think in forty minutes, if it can't grab you, it ran for no. two hours fifteen. In forty Ooh. minutes, I was like, "This is dross." I turned it off. Yeah, no, I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. That's, I mean, if you're in a cinema, it's a different account because I don't think I've ever actually walked out on a film. I've come close a few times, but I've never actually just abandoned ship. But uh, no, I, I think forty minutes is more than fair enough. So to kick us off. Uh, we have the nominations for the best documentary feature. You nom- your, your favourite voice. I do. The nominees are uh, Collective. Oh wow, uh, Crip Camp. <laughs> do you want to start again? <laughs> I think I think I do. Sorry, that just caught me so off guard. Um, <clears throat> best documentary feature. The nominees are Collective, Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. 
what the fuck is that collection of words I've just said? <laughs> this is um, it, it somehow that is a weirder combination of words than the one we did at the end of uh, the twenty twenty review, which is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom Greyhound Man. <laughs> was. Forgot about that. Um, was, it was a great thing, and uh, yeah, they all got nominated in the end. Every one of that little thing we did. You're very welcome. It was us that pushed them over the edge. I feel. Um, yeah. So as we did last year, um, we've mostly. I'm just going to ask for your two picks. So. What is your heart saying for the best documentary feature? There's only really one documentary that actually fully gripped me this year, and it is Collective. Um, it is a Romanian film. Uh, it's also nominated for uh, Best International Feature, which it won't win. Um, we don't talk about International Feature on here much, do we? No. Side note, it won't win because Another Round is basically the biggest nail on of the year. Right. Um, there's no way that's not winning international features. So Collective, unfortunately, won't win there. Um, it's. I feel like Collective might be one of the more important ones for people in the UK to watch, even though it is a Romanian film largely around political corruption. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes place following... Are you aware of the, uh, the station nightclub fire in America? Oh, yes, I think I am. So like it was the one that like they they used a pyro and then the whole place went up and they didn't have sufficient exits. Yes. And that. Yeah, um, yeah. Something similar to that happened in Romania um, in the nightclub called Collective. It's spelt without the e in Romanian. Um, similar situation. A metal band was playing. Pyro went wrong. They show footage of this and I I had to time it 15 seconds from. That's on fire. That shouldn't be on fire to the whole roof's up and there's literal panic. It is harrowing to watch. The film actually really concerns the fallout of events following that. It's found that, um, so I think it was something like, I might be getting the numbers wrong here, but I think it's 40 plus people died there and then. And then a further 60 plus people died following um, injuries and illnesses uh in the burn wards as it turns out romanian uh, the romanian healthcare um sector is completely bent it is a corrupt system wherein people are selling disinfectants that should be say like a 12 percent alcohol value and to 0.01 so it's incredibly watered down product uh, that's being sold to the highest bidder to make people who are in the pockets of this mafioso style government more and more money funnily enough the story is broken by um a a journalist called tolotov um i think i think i hope i'm saying that right um who actually they they work for the sports gazette and they're like one of the few papers in romania that aren't state-bought media so it takes this fucking sports magazine to break all of these stories about corruption and and you see like some really horrific shit so like they in one of the hospitals the manager is so inept that he's basically not controlling the burn ward victims properly so they're not getting their daily washes so there's some awful footage and i don't want to spoil it for those who are interested but there is some awful footage broke broken to the sports gazettes by one of the doctors where they've not looked after these these victims and you fucking see maggots grubbing on them and it's gross as shit it's gross as shit but in the year we've had especially in the uk in the year we've had where for example our government tried to sell off a big test and trace um program that didn't work and was basically programmed in excel and was sold to the highest bidder same with our ppe same with a lot of our things the only thing that's actually worked is our vaccination program because it's being controlled by the nhs 
And it's interesting because as the film goes on, you get to see the spin in progress. So the start of the film is very much about how do we make things right for the the wrongful victims of the you know, the flaws of the healthcare system, we need to invest in burn wards, etc., etc. And as it goes on, it goes up towards a um, an election mm. where the government that is corrupt are running again. They, they Their government got removed for a year and replaced by, like, a, a de facto, like, government after them. And you follow the new healthcare minister being like, I didn't realise the job I was stepping into was wrought with such fraud. And oh. it's about about them kind of like going through that election process and trying to get contracts changed so that they can, you know, provide better health care. And then the spin happens. All of a sudden, the opposition is like, oh, we need to do more transplants in this country. We're sending people to Vienna to do trans. And, and you feel you're being swept along. And it's like, why are we suddenly talking about transplants? Why are we now having to discuss an election? Oh, wait, we all got caught up in the political machine. It was gripping from start to finish, and it is a very important film for anybody who's even remotely tuned into how healthcare is bought and won, basically. So is this both your head and heart pick? It isn't. This isn't going to win. Ah, right. What is going to win? My octopus teacher's going to win, and I can't <laughs> fucking explain why. Now, we actually saw each other in real life for the first time in a while yesterday. We did. And this is the only one you mentioned. <laughs> it sounds mad. It is. It is just a man interviewing himself and GoPro footage of octopuses, and that is it. They've they've set it around this narrative of, like, the specific kind of octopus that this man befriends, although, frankly, it looks like he's going insane rather than befriending an octopus, um, is that it follows, like, the the one-year life cycle of this specific breed of octopus, and it's about the right. the troubles that it has been both predator and prey in that ecosystem. And and you think it's going to be a little bit more about, you know, preserving a- aquatic life, preserving the reefs and all this. It very quickly becomes a, a film that tries to make the octopus the main character. And I think it really could have gone somewhere interesting with the intervention of of this this director this 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 person who decides to go diving and visit this octopus every day for a year because <laughs> um, you know if you've got the money to fucking do that you may as well um mm. but like there's so much of like an imposed story on what's going on it's trying so hard to have a narrative when in actuality it is just fucking the life aquatic with steve sizu or whatever the fuck it was right but boring and that if you wanted anything other than interview and gopro footage you're on the wrong film there is nothing interesting about this and they try to have this emotional resonance at the end like he he intervenes in one thing but then not when it's getting bitten to shit to it by an octopus sorry by a shark mm. at the end like Oh, it's Lady Tags. Fuck it, let the shark eat it. And he goes and finds his desecrated corpse. It's like, uh, I was supposed to feel something for this, wasn't I? Uh, I'm pretty sure you were supposed to be giving me an emotional reaction to this earlier, but no, apparently not. The important thing is it's it's won in the guilds. Right. Uh, and if it wins in the guilds, it almost automatically clarifies it for an Oscar win because the same people on those boards will also vote in the Oscars. Gotcha. So it's just a foregone conclusion. I can't recommend it. It was the briefest of the five. 
So right. if you're looking for the the one that's over the quickest, go for my octopus teacher. But if you want the one with the most, you know, relevant commentary and actually really well paced and well told storytelling, go for collective. So I have three real quick questions. Um, I like how you said that losing your mind uh, and uh, befriending an octopus, like they're not the same thing. Like, <laughs> I feel like those are mutually exclusive anyway. Second of all, when I first when you I first read the title, I presume this was a high budget remake of Octodad, and like it was <laughs> a literal octopus pretending to be a teacher and trying to get away with it. Um, real quick, I don't want to dwell on documentaries too long. I have to ask what Crip Camp is. Crip Camp's actually quite good. It, this one's also on Netflix. It's it's um, it was Netflix's like everyone thought this was going to win, especially because much like last year, it was um backed by the production company that uh, Barack and Michelle Obama set up, and it wow. follows. Very quickly, I'll just give you kind of like the. The very basic plot. So uh, there's a quite a lot of archival footage of this camp for disabled teenagers and children. Um, it's kind of like their getaway summer camp thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you get quite a lot of historical context to the fact that they were some of them might have been in institutions. Some of them weren't allowed to go to proper schools. So the camp was actually the, the one of the few places that was completely set up for them to have a normal experience. Right. Um, and you follow a good number of those people like exploring like you don't ask the questions of how is it that somebody who's got cerebral palsy can have a sex life but those questions are asked and answered and there is a a certain amount of an uplifting attitude to it it does go on to explore a little bit more about disability rights and activism and if that's the kind of thing you're into i think you'll really get something out of crip camp but for me it's good it's not groundbreaking right gotcha cool right we are now moving on to best animated feature film the nominees are Onwards, Over the Moon, a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Soul, and Wolf Walkers from Apple TV. Get out of yeah, me. that's the one. Uh, all right. Um, so, uh, head pick. Uh, well, this is another one of the biggest. This what so boring about this this uh, award cycle. The Annies were the other week, uh, and Soul swept. Soul's gonna win. It's certainly the better one of the two Disney films on there. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. We were very lukewarm on Onward. Um, yeah. And I think we liked Soul better, although we didn't give it a standalone review. We let wait till the end of the year. Because it came out on Christmas Day, didn't it? Yes, it did, yeah, yeah. That was it. That's why we left it till the end of the year. Soul's good. It's not great. <laughs> it's, it's perfectly fine. Um, mm. I think... This one has a little bit more going for it, considering that it's also up for Best Original Score, which it's almost certainly going to win there as well. Um, Yeah, it's just... I understand, you know, a high-concept Pixar film winning, yeah, this is the inside-out of this year. It's almost definitely a nail-on. Right. Ultimately, it doesn't matter, because the Academy will vote on what their kids watched. Mm. So, for all intents and purposes, this could be anybody's game, but this year, because it's up for something else... Um, and there was talk that it was going to be up for Best Picture at some point. Oh, although that that didn't happen, thankfully. Right. I mean, not that it needs any more of an advantage. It's no. already a Disney film. It already was available for free. Obviously, if you pay the subscription, but you can get a seven day trial on Disney Plus. Um, and it was available over Christmas, which means that everybody saw it. So the Academy's kids, the Academy voters, children definitely saw it, and that means it's going to win. I, I I don't I don't know what you thought about it. I liked it, but I didn't love it. I think I was in the same boat. I felt 
I'm almost as lukewarm in it as I am with Onwards, that I feel like it's got that inside-out problem of there's so many ideas going on that none of them singularly feel fleshed out. And then the whole body swap thing really comes out of left field. Yeah. Like the, the, the cat and, the, and, and Jamie Foxx thing. It just... I, it feels really out of place in that movie. Like, I, I, I get that it can help, you know, spurn the narrative on a little bit, but it just feels, like, completely out of left field, and it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel like that type of movie. You know what I mean? It felt like... Uh, it, it felt like an idea from, like, a DreamWorks movie had found itself into this otherwise quite existential Pixar movie. Really weird. I agree with you there, especially because I think that Soul does have some really well done emotional resonance and mm. then there's a talking cat and it just it's just like it's just a pinprick in there it's like it didn't understand what was so well done in up because that is a film with that absolutely heart destroying four minutes opener and then it kind of it has that emotional resonance when they finally get the house to the top of the hills but then you've got the talking dog which is actually like and a good character it's it's a fun character this deflates it with 22 who you know i like tina fey and i liked mm. her as 22 but i didn't it was just the idea that he's just carrying around this fucking cat looking like an idiot yeah and it just it just didn't gel for me it's like someone's tried to make a really super serious version of Freaky Friday. I'm like, no, it doesn't really. You kind of rob the story of its emotional weight. Yeah. By having, like, look at Coco. Coco has something that's, you know, quite out there, but it fits thematically. It doesn't feel out of place at all. And it, it, it does help. It doesn't take away from any emotionality. It only adds to it. Whereas this, I feel like you just you didn't have a, like a bit of a slapstick movie for you know a good chunk of the last act is just slapstick cat humor. So yeah, very very strange. Now that was your head pick. It what was. do you want to win? I want Wolfwalkers to win for Apple TV Plus, Michael. No one watches that. No one watches Apple TV Plus. I had to uh, <laughs> to watch <laughs> Wolfwalkers. Um, I've slept on Cartoon Saloon as a studio for quite a while. Um, I avoided song of the sea when that was nominated one of the years because i just i just thought it looked too kiddy and it's i don't think secret of kells which was their first movie even got oscar nominated mm. if i remember him right i don't know why i'm asking you darren like you would know um <laughs> yeah it, it, in all the greatest respects it, it's a studio i don't think you've had any contact with either is it mm, nope no it's not like a Leica thing where like we we, we everybody saw Caroline and you, know, you kind of know them yeah I think this is Cartoon Saloon's Coraline. In the sense oh, okay. that I, I think this is the only other candidate that could beat Sol. And I still don't think it's going to. I, I, if you were betting, if I was a betting person, there is no way in hell I would put money on Wolfwalkers over Sol. Mm -hmm. But it is the better film. Just top to bottom, it is the better film. It's beautifully animated. It plays with perspective quite a lot because it is a 2D movie. It doesn't have any CG whatsoever and it's all hand-drawn. It has a very kind of homemade traditional feel to it and that helps given that it's based on Irish folklore, ah. which is really good. I didn't even talk about the uh, the voice cast in my article, which is also available today. Please go and read that. I'm predicting all of the uh, categories uh, in my article. But the voice cast is really good. It 
primarily concerns uh, two girls, one of which is the daughter of an English warrior who's come over to Ireland to protect a village from supernatural threats. The other is herself, a wolf walker, a supernatural being, a girl who can, at night, when she goes to sleep, uh, wake up in the body of a wolf. Um, I don't know how that how she, how wouldn't be tired after that. I think that's the only question I have, is that Oof. if you're up all night as a wolf, how are you not fucking knackered the next day? <laughs> um, magic, I guess. But no, it's a really, really well-told story. And there are some beautiful sequences. About 40 minutes, 30 minutes in, there is a wonderful sequence set to a piece of music called Running With The Wolves, as you might expect. Mm-hmm. Um which wasn't allowed to be up for original song because it is just a reinstrumentation of an existing pop song, which right. is such a shame because that sequence when uh, the two of them have turned into wolves, I-, I might have spoiled something about the plot of the movie there, but the two girls turn into wolves and they, they, they make their way through the woods outside of the town. And it, it's so fluid. There is such like this water-like motion to the way that they've animated this and it fits so well because the color palette is quite not washed out but it does look like a painting it is such a beautiful film to watch and it it you might call it predictable i understand why people be like it's just another kids movie Hmm. it's you know exactly what's going to happen the the villain is the villain and the good guys are the good guys and yes it it is very formulaic but we also like marvel movies despite knowing everything what's going to happen in those the the fact that the ride that this film takes you on, whilst familiar, is at least very well done, really quite emotional actually, and just an absolute spectacle to look at. I, I would happily, and this is not a bad word against the movie, but I would happily have this on in the background, and I guarantee that if we did, people would turn around and just look at it. Mm-hmm. just unprompted you wouldn't need to tell them to look at the movie it's just got such a, an interesting visual identity all of its own and yeah it's just a really nice film there's been a couple of ones this year where it, it, they've come out of nowhere and just really surprised me just they know exactly what they want to do and they do it to the nth degree it is just it is such a good cartoon lovely okay we are now moving on to the uh, acting categories um, we're going to start with Best Actress in a Supporting Role. The nominations are Maria Baklova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for He'll Be the Elegy, uh, Olivia Colman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Yu Jung Yoon for Minari. I'm, dis- I'm disappointed you didn't do the full title for Borat, but I'll let it slide. Uh, to be fair, on this website, it only has Borat's subsequent movie film, so I'm, I, I only have that to go on. I don't have the full kit and caboodle if you have it in front of you feel free to to include all of that i don't but i i'm gonna guess it i think i think the subtitle was delivery of prestigious bribe to american government make return of glorious no once glorious nation of kazakhstan i think that's what it was let's see what wikipedia has to say about that uh yeah Borat, subsequent movie from delivery of um, prodigious bride to American regime for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Ah, lovely. Eh. It doesn't matter. Um, Yeah, this one is, it was at one point anybody's game. Um, Both of the uh, actress uh, nomination pools were like, we don't know who's going to win. Um, Thankfully, it's become very clear who's going to win this one now, thanks to a couple of uh, other awards. Um, And this is my first 
head and heart pick. Who I want to win is going to win. Go which on. Is good. Uh, so my vote would go to, and I want this person to win. I would go with uh, Yu Jung Yoon for Minari. Ah, okay. I know literally nothing about Minari. Right. Okay. Um, it's one of those films I would find very difficult to recommend to you. Mm-hmm. It's not the most difficult one to recommend to you. We'll come to that later. Good God, we'll come to that later. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, Yu Jung Yoon plays. Um, I can't remember the character's name off the top of my head, but she plays the grandmother of the family, and she kind of appears about twenty twenty five minutes into the movie, and she mm-hmm. absolutely steals it. She's so good in this role. The story primarily concerns this uh, Korean family that has moved to, I believe, Arkansas. Um, so I, I didn't know much about the uh, the immigration of, of Koreans to, to America that much. So I think I might be missing some of the historical context for the 80s time setting here. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is that this is this family, the father of which is played by Stephen Yun from The Walking Dead, um, and they've made a, a living for themselves in America by chicken sexing. And that's not as kinky as you think it sounds. It is oh. just looking for, you know, it's separating the males from the females when it comes to chickens. Obviously, you destroy the males because they aren't much use, whereas you keep the females because you can get eggs and shit. Um, but he's setting up his own farm. He has bought this plot of land and this ridiculous looking what looks like the back end of like a flatbed truck, you know, like those like a 40 a 40 footer long truck it looks like that but as a house um okay it's a piece of shit and it's terrible farm but he he's all for the american dream he wants to set up this farm he wants to sell crops he wants to be a self-made man he wants to do the thing that he has moved to this country to do the problem is is that that is not the most difficult not the most easy thing to do when you don't know that much about farming um, that's very much the B plot, even though Stephen Yun is also up for actor in a leading role. The primary plot concerns the son, played by Alan Kim, and his experiences growing up as a Korean child, as a, a child of two languages, in this weird, open, backwater, hillbilly town. Um, and the only link he kind of has to the life in Korea that he didn't really get to know is Yu Jung Yoon's character. Uh, of the grandmother and she's she's a very she's very feisty she's very witty um she she knows how to like rile up the the children into like overacting she's very very playful in this but she's also very sweet she really runs the gamut of the emotions and there is a turn in this movie which i won't spoil in case you do end up watching it darren Mm -hmm. um where there is an indefinite change to this character and it's and it is it is very achingly awful to watch. You feel bad having to witness this, especially because she represents this kind of like innocence and mysticism and you know, that they, they like growing the minari of the of the title, which is like this it's almost like a like a watercress style plant. It's supposed to benefit good health and good fortune. Mm-hmm. Uh, where it grows is supposed to mean you know, fertility in the ground and, and success. And she populates this and grows this in like on the land near like this little river, and it is like her the lasting resonance of her character towards the end. But she's just she's just brilliant. Now Yu Jung Young has been in a lot of Korean movies, unfortunately none of which I've seen, and that is a shame that I'm I'm kind of getting introduced to her is 
you know this late on to, into her career mm-hmm. because she's absolutely stellar in this the, the cast up and down are really good but she's the only one that that really feels like like a person experiencing all sorts of emotions at all one time whereas i, I feel like steven yun which we'll talk about a little bit more later on steven yun is very much one thing going forward um there's kind of like this, like I say, this mystical playfulness in, involved in, in Yo Jung Yoo's performance that I I think she'll win. She's picked up a, a couple of awards already. Her main competition was Olivia Coleman. It doesn't look like that's going to happen this year, which is, I was about to say fair enough. I really like The Father, but we'll come and talk about that later on. Um, no one else is going to trouble her. Although it was weird because for a time it looked like it was going to be Olivia Coleman versus Maria Bakalova. And that would have been interesting for uh, a comedy film, no less a um, a hidden camera social commentary comedy film, mm. to pick up an acting like award. That would have been incredible, but it's not going to happen. Uh, all I've heard from this like nomination set is that yeah, like Maria Bakalova has earned her place there. She does do a great job in in Bora, but that everyone is questioning how the hell Glenn Close got in here because from all I've been told. Hillbilly Elegy is awful, and um, Glenn Close just chews the scenery. She absolutely does, but she's at least fucking trying. Right, okay. <laughs> um, there's a reason why Amy Adams isn't nominated. You, you, I came round on Amy Adams. I like Amy Adams now. If I'd not seen Sharp Objects on uh, American Hustle and just all these other good Amy Adams performances... Hillbilly Elegy would top would put me over the fucking edge. She's <laughs> dreadful in that film. Um, Glenn Close is probably never going to win an Oscar, and it is a shame because she is a good actress. But boy, how did you, does she pick real bad fucking roles? <laughs> Who knew? Right, okay. Uh, we're now on to best actor in a supporting role. Uh, the nominations are Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami, Paul Rashi, I want to say. That, people don't know how to pronounce this because this is his, um, his first credit. Uh, some say Rassi and some say Racy. Take it me. Paul Rachel for Sound of Metal <laughs> and Lakeith Stanfield also for Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, oh, two nominations for Judas and the Black Messiah there. That's interesting. Um, yeah, very interesting. But these are the two lads on the poster, aren't they? So how are they both classed as the supporting actor? You're asking the right questions, Darren. Okay. <laughs> you won't get an answer, but you are asking the right questions. Who is right. the lead character in uh, Judas if they're both supporting? It doesn't make any fucking sense. Are they supporting the other one? The, the, as neither is technically the lead, they are both technically first support. I'm, I'm guessing you're asking this because you haven't seen Judas in the Black. Oh, yeah, yeah, I haven't seen it. No, I, I, this was one of the ones I did want to see, but it's not on anything, so I haven't got round to it. Yeah, unfortunately, I can't even give you my login for HBO Max because it's now left the service. It came on February 12th. It means it left on March 12th, which is not ah. great. But there we go. Um... Yeah, the good news for the Judas and the Black Messiah boys is that one of them is going to win. It is Daniel mm-hmm. Kaluuya. He has won everything else this season. And I mean, every other acting nomination that he's been given, he has picked it up. He has not lost one yet. It's very unusual that the Oscars doesn't go with that, especially with the, the um, his win at the Screen Actors Guild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- there's no way Daniel Kaluuya doesn't win. It's wholly earned. He's fucking brilliant. It's just so good. He plays Fred Hampton, 
who is a um a black panther in the i think it's the illinois chapter um yeah that that film primarily concerns um the betrayal of fred hampton by lakeith stanfield's character mm-hmm. um lakeith stanfield plays a fbi informant who agrees to join the black panthers and spy on fred hampton in order to feed that information back to the fbi so that they can you know make an unlawful arrest it doesn't turn out the way you think it would although a betrayal certainly happens uh daniel kaluuya is absolutely electric in this movie and that's you know even without all of the wins i would put my money on him anyway because i i can just tell you right now in terms of the supporting actor category that's the best performance it just is there's no arguing that he brings a lot of emotion, a lot of passion, a lot of... I mean, the the, the fact... <laughs> I, I said this in my article. The fact that this guy used to be posh Kenneth and parking Patawayo, and now he's, like, the most charismatic man of the award season is... It's quite uh-huh. the transformation. But uh, I can't... No one else will remember parking Patawayo. I had to put a link to it so that people can see that gloriousness. Um, yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's absolutely fantastic. And you feel everything that the Fred Hampton character goes through, especially even though he's that he's absent for a good section of the film where he goes to jail. And even then, it's like you get these little sequences of him kind of radicalizing the people in prison. He's just such an influential person. They've really captured that well. Unfortunately, it's not who I would pick as my heart pick. Because oh. um, I have thoughts. Um, my thoughts are, why does everybody hate The Trial of the Chicago 7? Um, and moreover, why does everybody hate Sasha Baron Cohen? Why does nobody want to give him an Oscar? I feel like he earned it here. See, I I can now contribute. Here we go. Uh, uh, that's, why, that's why I left a little gap for you there. Thanks, babe. I have seen Trial of Chicago 7, and I too do not understand the hate. It's a great film. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. We'll, we'll come into more of it later on, but specifically, what did you think of Sasha Baron Cohen? I think he does a great job. Like he, because I, I was listening to last year's Oscar podcast where we we talked about how Tom Hanks can be both definitely Tom Hanks, but also completely embody the person he's playing. Mm. I kind of got that here with Sasha Baron Cohen, where I'm like, well, he's not that much of a chameleon that he completely loses all sense of what makes him, you know, what everyone likes about Sasha Baron Cohen. But he does such a good job of channeling that in a different way here, of of being this kind of radicalized free-thinking like jewish person on the outside of all this race stuff going on in the 70s it is fantastic what he does here like he he is like a comic relief character for for most of the time in this movie but he also really brings like very very good talking points when he needs to when he needs to get serious he does that and it's such a like it's even like a great embodiment of that 70s kind of you know activism of it's all a bit tongue-in-cheek sometimes but there's real issues bubbling under the surface and he doesn't lose sight of that i think it's a brilliant performance so i would again i haven't seen anything else on here that i would um therefore be able to say oh no that was better but i mean i'm glad he got nominated he probably wasn't going to get nominated for borax i don't think the oscars (laughs) could live with themselves if they even if he does a great job as borat they can't they can't nominate borat surely to god 
No, they really can't. The only reason that Maria Bakalova got that nomination is because she manages to keep up with Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Like she she can improvise as good as he can, and that's what's so good about her performance. But when it comes to Sasha Baron Cohen in this movie, you've hit the nail on the head because you said he is both obviously Sasha Baron Cohen and also entirely Abby Hoffman. Mm-hmm. It is so well cast because Abby Hoffman himself, I don't know if you know much about what happened to Abby Hoffman after that movie. Do you know much about his life? I did. I do feel like I looked it up, but I can't remember. So he um, following this, he went on the run because obviously the uh, they they did their short prison sentence, but then they got out on uh, incredibly short bail, which was very good. He went on the run. He became very paranoid. His mental health deteriorated. He did very briefly come back into the limelight to talk about social issues again. Unfortunately, then uh, took his own life. I believe he was only in his 50s when he committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, quite the troubled life and not unfounded that it was because of the government's involvement in his life. Yeah. Because Abby Hoffman was this great provocateur, that's what makes the casting of Sasha Baron Cohen so good. We've yeah. seen it. We, we've seen him in Borat, Bruno, Ali G to an extent. The man can go out into the world and raise questions and force people into difficult situations and bring things to light that people might want to have kept hidden. That's what makes him such a good fit for the Abby Hoffman character. And yes, it is comedic. There is a great scene um, where both himself and I forget the name of the other character, but they... They uh, they've decided to wear judges' robes to the second day of the trial. They disrobe to reveal police uniforms, and you know even that it's played for laughs, but it's great commentary and mm-hmm. it's very flawlessly delivered by uh, Baron Cohen. There's there's this back and forth sequence in the middle where he appears to be giving some kind of talk slash stand up session, I think, yeah. and he's narrating this this riot scene that happens. Um, and it plays like it, to begin with. It, it's like he's doing a routine, and then it, then it 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 turns and it feels like like he's become like a war journalist or something, and it just feels so goddamn natural. I really don't get the hate. I just think it's brilliant. Everyone's ragging on his accent, and don't get me wrong. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird Bostonian Jewish mix, but that's what Abby Hoffman sounded like. That you go and find archival footage. He fucking sounded like this. He did such a good job, and people are shitting on him for no good reason. I, I'm really sad about that, honestly. Makes no sense to me, but there, there's always seems to be that one move that everyone kind of rallies against for no discernible reason like was Charles Chicago 7 just too entertaining for people's liking it was like well that doesn't mean it's Oscar worthy how dare it do I wasn't miserable at any point so I mean <laughs> misery is absolutely a fucking running theme this year so maybe that was it because it had an uplifting ending which yeah it was schmaltzy but at least it was a good ending Jesus exactly right we're into the big leagues now it's best actress in a leading role the nominations are Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, uh, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Head pick, Maggle. Head pick, Frances McDormand. Uh, it just feels like, yeah, she's already going to happen. The Oscars love her. It's a three-horse race this year because Andra Day, it was a good performance in a it was in a terrible film, so it won't win. Mm. And Vanessa Kirby, like, 
I really failed to connect with pieces of a woman. Um, you might say that's because I'm a guy and it's a movie that primarily concerns like an, uh, a horrific turn of events during birth. So you might say I'm not the kind of person to talk about that, but that is a very emotionally distant performance from Vanessa Kirby. So it was it came down to Viola Davis, Francis McDormand, Kerry Mulligan. Uh, one of these people do not have an Oscar. The other two do. So to me, it was who's in the most liked movie of this lot. So we have a non-entity outside of the acting categories. We have the one that's picked up the most amount of, well, that will pick up the most amount of awards. It hasn't done it yet. And one from a quite controversial movie that's released really, really late. To me, that kind of spells out that Frances McDormand's got it in the back. She doesn't want it, but that doesn't mean the Academy won't give it to her. She she would prefer it that somebody else won the awards. She She's picked up two, I believe now, I think. And when she accepted the one for three billboards, she was like, I don't deserve this. She's quite a humble person. Mm. Um, but the writing's on the wall. She's already picked up awards. Nomadland is getting a lot of buzz. It just fits together too well. I'm not saying that Frances McDormand puts a bad performance in because I don't think she's capable of a bad performance. She's a very talented actress. The movie does not give her enough to do. And because right. it is a very quiet movie with not a lot happening, which we'll fucking come to later, <laughs> um, it just, I don't feel like she's given the amount of range that she wa was given in something like Three Billboards. And historically, it doesn't give her that kind of the grounding that like she got in Fargo. It's just not there. But it just it fits too well. The Academy liked the movie. They like Frances McDormand. I think it's going to happen. I know the storm that's coming with Nomadland, ladies and gentlemen. Prepare yourself for that. Um, okay, so that's head pick. Who's you want to win, Michael? Now, to me, out of the other two, there's only one person worthy of winning this award. I think it's possible that she could take it, but I don't think it will happen. If I was putting money down, I'd still put it on Francis McDormand. But out of those five... It's very easy to see Carrie Mulligan taking it. So she's my heart pick because I do think it is the better performance. I do think it's the more interesting and certainly important film as well. And what she manages to do is deliver something that is all at the same time comedic, psychotic, sad. Just it, it runs the gamut for the entire way and it keeps you guessing. We've talked about movies that... Um, have that thing of subverting expectations this film does that it does that in a way that has really riled people up but i absolutely respect it mainly because it's not the last fucking jedi um <laughs> i've got to get over myself with that i really have uh, no she she's really really fantastic um have you seen this one darren it's the big reveal michael i have seen promising young woman Way! huzzah um she's brilliant in this she really, really is. She she does so many different things in just one performance. And she never loses sight of that, like... We'll get more into it when we talk about the movie itself um, in a sec. But the, the drive the character has to kind of, you know, get to her end goal in this in this film is so, so well played out. Yeah, I, I am nothing but praise for this performance i agree with you having not seen nomadland it just feels like that's what they're gonna pick it's it's very paint by numbers um by that thing but 
I'd like to see if if she does win. I'll be very very happy for that because this is a a great performance. Like it doesn't. It's a great performance because it doesn't seem like it's Carrie Mulligan doing it. Like whenever she's been on chat so she's a very like meek and quiet person, uh, and then she pulls this out. It's it's so transformative. It's it's brilliant. Yeah, I I I really not to give away too much. I really like promising young woman, so I'd be very happy if she does pick up the win. I'm glad you did because I I just think she's earned it and and it's not even like the historical thing like Viola Davis has already picked up Oscars in the past so there's you know there's a there's precedence for that and ordinarily actresses do tend to pick up a supporting Oscar before they then pick up a a leading um, which is exactly what Viola Davis has done as well um, but yeah it, it's really hard to think about anyone else picking that award up other than Kerry Mulligan but the the narrative for Nomadland is just there this year and I, I just don't see it deviating from that path I don't think we're going to get another big surprise like we did with, with Parasite I just don't think it's going to happen no ah well we are moving on to best actor in a leading role uh, the nominations are Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Stephen Yeun for Minari. Um, hmm. That's a lot of acting pedigree. It is. It is a lot of acting pedigree. So is it is it an easy pick for Head? Yes, 100%. Oh, really? Okay. I, I... I would put money on this today. This is the only one I would feel comfortable about putting money on. Like, I could go to whatever betting site is taking this if i was going to bet on one category it's this one chadwick chadwick yeah there's i don't want to be like hey what's up it's a pity points party but um yeah posthumous award to to the late chadwick boseman again the narrative is there he's been picking up the awards posthumously uh, he did at the baftas he did at the sags uh golden globes he, he he's sweeping it and Here's the bit I really feel uncomfortable saying. I think it's one of his worst performances. Oh, wow. Okay. I I really struggle to see how people are championing this performance over his his portrayal of James Brown in Get On Up. Because we didn't Mm. care about him then. and, And now we do. And I feel like... I don't think we ever saw Chadwick's best work. And this certainly isn't it. And I feel so uncomfortable saying that because it is a tragedy what happened. Obviously, I'm sad as a comic book fan because we lost Black Panther. But, like, this ain't it, guys. This really ain't it. This movie ain't good. <laughs> I can't recommend Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh, it's not up for Best Picture. We're not going to talk nope. about it later. Fuck me, this is a bad film. <laughs> uh, Jesus fucking Christ. It's like... It, they spunked all the budget on the first 10 minutes and then the rest is people arguing in a room and it is so blatantly the film that they made a pl- that was used to be a play right it's not even as good it's from the same production company set up by denzel washington when they did uh fences two or three years ago mm-hmm. Do you remember that yeah i remember that yeah yeah and the thing is fences translated quite well this does not translate well at all it does not translate it it is boring it is just not an interesting movie it is all noise and no substance it thinks it's trying to make a point when it really isn't i don't know whether that's the problem of the play 
the way that's the problem with this movie because I really enjoyed Fences. I didn't think it was perfect because I would have preferred to have seen it on a stage as I would with most things that are adapted from the stage to the screen. Mm-hmm. But this really ain't it. This is really piss poor put together and it's up for two acting nominations and makeup and hairstyling and costume design and production design. What the fuck are the Academy thinking? Production design. It's one fucking room. Like, the thing is, like, it's up against the father, which, yes, is takes entirely in one flat. But at least you move between it and at least the, that, you know, it goes. Uh, I don't want to spoil too much about the father. I was, tr- I was about to say something. What the father does with his production design and with its sets is so much more interesting than what Ma Rainey does. Ma Rainey has... Let me think about it. There's the 10 minutes at the start where it spunks all of its money on the um, the outdoor shots. It then has the recording studio and the room downstairs. And that is it. it is right. That. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> I, oh, this is one of the ones I was so looking forward to it. This this might have been a bigger disappointment than Nomadland. Because at least with Nomadland, I was already kind of nervous. Ma Rainey's mm. Black Bomb, I was like, it's got people I like in it. It's from a studio I already respect. It's on Netflix. This is going to be great. And I fucking hated it. So this isn't a case of like when Heath Ledger won. When it was like, no, that is... If he was alive. I know it's a horrible train of thought to follow. But let's just, let's just do it anyway. Mm. Had Heath Ledger been alive, he probably would have won anyway. Yeah, because Keith Ledger gave his career best performance as the Joker. There's yeah. no question. But that's not the case here. But you still feel it will be the one to to beat. The narrative's too strong. And right. I get it. And don't get me wrong. People want to celebrate Jack. Yeah. And that's fine. I, I feel like, you know, we're looking at the at all the acting nominations this year. And if everything went right on the night, every single one could go to a minority and that would be that would be fine and very well earned frankly Mm -hmm. i but i just i just can't support i can't support this performance i i just think it was it's to me it's all at once it's very lazy and very overacted it's like he's got too it's a very binary performance he's got an on and off switch and that's it there's none of that interesting complexity that we saw um, specifically in his portrayal as T'Challa in Civil War. Because I think that's where you get the most conflicted performance from him. And it doesn't have that, that kind of emotional peaks and troughs that it didn't get on up. It's just it's just not good. I, I don't get it. I don't fucking <laughs> get it. It's just not good. None of it's good. Viola Davis isn't good. None of the supporting cast are good. The hair and makeup aren't very good. The costumes look cheap. Why is this up for five Oscars? I'm so okay. confused. Sorry. Breathe. Breathe. So it's safe to say this is your least favourite of these five uh, options. Uh, it, it, in for what it stands for, yes. I think if there's somebody who had to be struck off that list, it would be Gary Oldman. Because that is a nothing performance. But... Right, okay. <laughs> but the thing is, it's, it's a nothing performance in an otherwise fairly standard movie. It's, But that's like, Chadwick is like the one maybe half salvageable good thing in a sh- thoroughly shit movie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's one of those. Okay, uh, so who would you like to see win it? There's one other person that could win, and that's Anthony Hopkins, but I've not picked him as my heart pick. Um, that goes to Riz Ahmed. Like, right, I, okay. I think his performance in Sound of Metal 
is his best so far. I don't think we've seen Riz Ahmed's, you know, seminal career defining performance. But in terms of what, we, you know, the journey from Brother Omar to here is absolutely astounding. And, and this is it's one that's fraught with frustration and and desperation and sadness. And, you know, he, it's a man who's clutching the ve- the only thing he lives for and having it slip through his fingers and having to adjust to whatever comes after. And you have to watch this character for those who haven't seen sound of metal and Darren, you've, you've not seen sound of metal in much the capacity you wanted. What happened was (laughs) we, we, we sat down for tea quite late last night. Um, we got 20 minutes into sound of metal. Uh, I then got a phone call that lasted 40 minutes. And when we reconvened, uh, I played for five minutes and my fiance said, I'm not paying attention to this at all. So I was like, well, I want to put you in a bad mood, but we got about another hour and 30 to go. So we uh, abandoned ship and watched Taskmaster instead. I intend to go back and watch it at some point, but it just wasn't. If it had not been for the phone call, I probably would be able to add more in. I will say, from the 20 minutes I saw, Rizard members doing a great job, and I do want to go back and see it at some point, but I don't really feel I've been given the um, the the, uh, the full meal of what Rizard members up to in that film, so I can't really comment. But from what I saw, he was doing pretty well. Yeah, no, the first 20 minutes are still good, don't get me wrong. So in the first 20 minutes, would you have gotten up to the bit where he goes on his first visit to the Doctors? Did you go to that bit? Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you you see that scene where he's like, "Your hearing is fucked, mate." Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, it's it goes to some very interesting and deep places and deals with some very very heavy themes in this. You know, from addiction to you know your dreams being destroyed to financial insolvency. It's just there's so much going wrong for this character, and Riz Ahmed is able to convey this kind of like this panic and fear bubbling away at the surface in in a really really convincing way i just think it's an absolutely spectacular performance in a film that let's let's be real will win the sound award no Mm -hmm. question has a good chance on editing um i don't want to say it's got a good chance on best picture because we know what the the narrative this year is but in another year would have been a very serious contender for best picture um, I just think this is just an up and down, really excellent movie. And it's carried through Riz Ahmed because you do follow. There's not very many scenes. In fact, is there a scene without Riz Ahmed in? I don't think there is. I think you're with him the entire way. And that is just the effort that he's put into doing this to, to try and act as something. I know that the entire point of acting is acting as somebody that you're not. But for somebody, and especially when he's put against, you know, Paul Rasser, who was in the supporting actor category, who, you know, is impaired, as uh, along with uh, Lauren Ridloff, who's going to be in Eternals, who turns up as a teacher in the movie, mm-hmm. who is, uh, you know, impaired as well. And it's just like, he fits into that universe so well. And he, he has that story told in such a way that you understand all of these decisions no matter how bad or good, and you understand the outbursts, no matter how minor or huge. And when you get to the ending with him, you feel like you've got on that journey as well. And you feel not exhausted and not, what's the word I'm looking for? 
there's there is a certain there is a certain tinge to the end of the movie not to spoil it for when you actually watch it darren mm. that there that like there is a sense that something hasn't been resolved and somehow i i would normally hate that in lesser performances i would hate the idea that we've not told the full story but where we leave that character where riz ahmed leaves us with that final scene um i just i just thought it was so powerful i just thought it was such an impactful and empathetic like performance i'm struggling to find more words because i just want to say it's fucking great go and see it because i I feel like this is the one that people are going to miss out on it came out Mm. really late in the uk it is on amazon prime now please Mm -hmm. go and watch sentimental it's on amazon Amazon prime but i feel like once this award season is over people will stop talking about this film and it does not deserve that and if you want to pair your watching of Sound of Metal with Taskmaster, feel free to do that as well. <laughs> Talk about recommend. a tonal shift. God a man. little bit, yeah, a little bit. Um, I hope it's up for a makeup award because that is not the same Olivia Cook that was in Ready Player One. Good no, God. No, it isn't. <laughs> Although she doesn't have the stupid wine stain on her face this time, so you know. I suppose. But it took me, like, I mean, I only watched 20 minutes, but I was like, the whole time, like, what's she been in? Who is she? <laughs> and Rachel told me, I was like, no, silly, that's not her <laughs> Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, real quick, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of skim over Best Director because all but one are up for the Best Picture as well, so I'm guessing yep. we'll bowling there but best director uh we have thomas vinterberg for another round david fincher for mank lee isaac chung for minari chloe zhao for nomadland and emerald fennel that's a hell of a name uh for promising young woman yep all of them actually pretty worthy of winning this one um all ah, right except for the one who's going to win <laughs> is that chloe zhao for nomadland yes everybody must love chloe zhao that is the the dictator upon high you must enjoy Chloe Zhao, and I fucking don't. Um, this is the one that stings the most, um, probably outside of its nomination in Best Picture, is because I don't feel like there was much fucking directing going on here, <laughs> and yet, yet it's going to win. She's going to win. And yes, okay, let's get this out of the way first. We are very happy that two women have been nominated in directing. Two still films like quite a lower number, but hey progress it's small and gradual in nearly 100 years of the fucking academy awards whoopee go us the woman is going to win it this year make it the other one that's all i need to say chloe Zhao is not a good director this we're going to get more into it when we come to best picture but this film feels like an absolutely top quality stellar student film and nothing (laughs) else and that's all i have to say about the direction um I genuinely do stand up to that statement, though. My heart pick is Emerald, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman. And that is because it is up and down the better made movie. <laughs> like, you, you can't argue the way that, that she kind of frames this, uh, this, this movie. I'm surprised this isn't up for cinematography. I really am. Because mm. there's some absolutely gorgeous shots in this film. And it is well paced. It is well edited. It is a well told story that leaves no stone unturned. It tells you exactly what you need to know. And the performances are so good. This film is so well cast. And I feel like mm. that must have been a decision of Emerald Fennell. And I hope it is. Because the, the, if you haven't seen it, it uses a lot of comedic actors to tell quite a serious story. And that lends into its subversion 
so unbelievably well outside of Kerry Mulligan, who we've, you know, I've not particularly seen Kerry Mulligan in that many things. I think the last thing I saw him was uh, Greg Gatsby. Mm. And that was a fucking train wreck. So, you know, <laughs> the only way is up. Baby. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anything's an improvement. But like when she she pulls on, you know, quite well known comedic actor. I mean, Bo Burnham opposite her as the as the male lead, and then we've got mm-hmm. um, oh, what's her face from Community? Uh, Alison Brie. Alison Brie from Community. Oh wow, I never get to correct you on an actor's name that felt great so yeah it's an interesting one for us um and then there's the there's the one of the guys from new girl is in the movie as well they keep bringing people in from these comedy shows to tell what is essentially an incredibly dark story but they do it with such reverence for the you know the revenge i guess that it kind of almost feels a little bit comedic at the same time oh it's so good how could yeah. this won't win? <laughs> I, I wouldn't even I... be mad with any of the other nominees either. You know, Minari, I liked well enough. It's still in my top ten. Mank, it ain't great, but at least it looks good and keeps a pace up. Another round, not my favourite when it comes to the um, international feature films, but a strong fucking second. Good film. Would see again. Promising a woman, though. I How would you argue against that? I mean, you've seen it, Darren. I, I know you haven't seen the rest, but even you liked it, and it's quite a heavy movie. It's. I mean, I was always going to like it. You've cast the parents as Stifler's mom and the Kurgan. I was always going to be on board. <laughs> I forgot the Kurgan was in this. He is. So, I mean, no wonder she's a bit messed up as a character when your parents are, at best, Stifler's mom and uh, Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob. <laughs> That's going to happen to you. But there we go. <laughs> God, Rachel no. was like, why do you keep calling him the Kurgan? I was like, because the Kurgan, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was oh. like, if you ever wanted to hear what you were saying, like if Mr. Krabs talk about rape, I've got a movie to show you. Um, <laughs> but there we go. Oh. Right. It's the big one. Um, oh, sorry. Who, so you promising your woman is your heart pick for director. Yeah, head pick is Chloe Zhao for um, Nomadland and heart pick is Emerald Fennel for Promising a Woman. The the good thing to remember is, because I think you're about to predict that No Bad Land's probably going to win Best Picture as well. The silver lining is, that means we're almost certainly, on Monday, going to get the Eternals trailer at fucking long last. This so, is the only silver lining. So there's that. Um, that'll hopefully put our minds slightly more at ease than the, um, uh, oh god, I forgot his name, Shang-Chi um, trailer did. Oh, the... Shang-Chi, th- sorry. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. Uh, yeah, the thoroughly average martial arts movie that looks fun but nothing else. I, I don't know if other people watch a different trailer than we did, like, but we're in a minority there, Michael. People seem to be really into this, and I was like, I mean, I've seen Kung Fu Hustle, so I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. If Aquafina was the main character, this would just be a remake of Kung Fu Hustle, wouldn't it? Basically, yeah, 100%. So. We shall, I mean, it has to be better than Iron Fist, right? Maybe that's what it is. No one else bothered to watch Iron Fist, so they haven't been tainted by martial arts Marvel films before. So maybe that's what it is. But my God, it can't. It, I, I don't think it's scientifically possible to be worse than Iron Fist season one. So no. there we are. Well, sorry. Um, fuck, what's it called? Inhumans. There you go. Oh, that's a point. I have to remind you that humans happen, don't I? <laughs> Because I don't, I didn't watch it. And I don't ever intend to watch it. Like <laughs> it's basically right. that, that, 
all the like uh the like cloak and dagger like it came to like a third rate american channel i'm like ah don't matter and season three of jessica jones other than that i've seen everything else mcu related but alas um we are now on i tried watching season two of jessica jones and then when we got to this um ah what's the guy's name the the... The wizard oh fuck me i turned off yeah I was like, yeah, yeah. you warned me about that as well. I was like, no, that's too much. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> Stunningly stupid. <laughs> yeah, season two is just for it's bad. It's bad. Right. Best picture. Now, last year uh, we did this in an ascending order of what you thought was likely to win. Do you have that prepared? Yeah, I think we could do ascending. Um, that wouldn't be too difficult at all because you know where the fucking bottom starts. Where does the bottom start? The fucking winner, Darren. <laughs> no, but I mean, last year we did it like you did it in terms of, I I think this is the least likely to win, and we worked our way up to what you thought was going. Oh, to I win. thought you were asking me to do my least my least favorite to the book. No, 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 no. I I think that could work too. I mean, if you've got that ready to go, we can do that too. No, but I, I mean, last year you put Ford versus Ferrari, which you liked a lot. But you were like, "There's no hope in hell of that winning." Yeah, let's let's do it that way. Let's let's stick to, to tradition. Why not? Because I want to I want to delay the Nomadland storm as long as possible. <laughs> I want to build that vitriol up inside of you. So um, I'll just I'll give you a quick rundown of everything we've got here. So the nominations for best picture are The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of Chicago Seven. So what do you have as your one that you like? Great film or whatever, but no way in hell that's going to win. Uh, the bottom for me would be Mank. I, I think that's got the absolute least chance of winning, despite the fact that it has received the most nominations. Doesn't normally bode well for a movie to have the most nominations because it tends not to win the best picture. Right. I think last year it was Joker, which he didn't win. In fact, mm-hmm. Joker only won two things last year, didn't it? And it had 11 nominations. So but it wasn't as bad as The Irishman, which had 10 and won none. So never mind. Uh, yeah, so Mank's going to be at the bottom. It's a fine film. It's okay. It's not there. Yeah, it's not David Fincher's best work. Don't get me wrong. I think the production design is to be commended, and I think that is the only award it will win. Um, what it lacks, though, is it. You can't connect with it. I feel like it's a very distant movie, and that's for two reasons. For one, I don't think that the performances are particularly empathetic i don't feel like you felt anything for these characters and the other reason of that is because if you don't know anything about the history of hollywood you're really gonna struggle if you've never seen citizen kane if you don't know who um oh crap what's his name william hurst is if you don't know who orson wells is you're not gonna get a lot from this movie you it is relied almost entirely on that knowledge and yeah it's very much the academy's pick like it's a film about films they fucking love that shit that's why it's here it's perfectly watchable it's on netflix i think it's just over two hours long and at that length it does feel it starts to wear out its welcome about the one hour 45 mark but following that you know it's fine like it's not only is it bottom of the pile in terms of what I think is going to win, it's bottom of the pile in terms of the quality. Apart from one, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was loud. Uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of the other movies here as well, so it feels right to me to say thank you, Mank, but not this year. 
Real quick, Gary Oldman isn't playing. Um, oh my god, Orson Welles is he? No, he's playing Herman J. Mankiewicz, who was the screenwriter for Citizen Kane. Right, that answers the second question of why is it called Mank if he's not set in Manchester? But oh, <laughs> no, um, you're, you're thinking of M A N C. That's ah, uh, see, Man- or Man- oh, Mankey as in dirty, or <laughs> Mankey as in a Pokemon. So yeah. lots of options there. I did not think it'd be his name. Fair none none of those. Either way, the subtitle for this movie would be Mankey next. Very nice. Okay, uh, next. Uh, I think the. Oh, yeah, I think this is going to have to be Sound of Metal after that. Oh, that's disappointing. Okay. It is, but the thing is, it's it's going to... I think where it's nominated in the technicals, it's either got a very good chance or it will win. Right. I think in a in a weaker... I say a weaker year. In a year with, that hasn't had this strong of a narrative, I think it would have a serious chance, especially considering it's got what I think to be the best in terms of the uh, lead actor performances. Right. But this is very much, a, a, and this it totally defeats what I would normally say, especially considering what's happening this year. But because of the scale of this movie, and, and it is a very very small scale movie, and, and like an, mm, oh, sorry, the, the vitriol's building, Darren. Um, <laughs> this is what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I just don't think it's it's had the right drive. I, I think it's had a very successful campaign getting the nominations it has. But it's not getting it where it counts. It's not getting it in directing. It, it, it got completely shut out of directing, which has really riled me because I think it's a very well-directed movie. Um, it's been washed out of the acting categories by Chadwick, as to be expected. But, of course, it's sweeping the technicals. And sweeping the technicals means literally nothing. Unfortunately, they are very much their own separate thing. Uh, otherwise, we'd be talking about Tenet in, in terms of Best Picture, and that feels wrong. So you got to see it from that perspective. That they see this as a technical piece. They don't see this as a drama, all because of that thing that they do with the sound to emulate what it's like to lose your hearing. The the thing that makes it unique is probably also its biggest Achilles heel. It's disappointing because I think it's a brilliant film, but you you got to analyze what you see with the, all the guilds and all everything else coming in. Fair enough. Okay, if it, it, it feels very indie. And I just feel like that might be, like, sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. I just don't feel that's the palette people are looking for this year. Like, again, I've only seen 20 minutes, so my opinion is worth slightly more than, than zero, but alas. Um, it, it felt like, having seen two others on this movie, that really didn't feel indie, like, at all. I don't know if that's playing against it this year. Having said that, seems like the movie they're going to say he's going to win feels incredibly indie but we'll get to that um, fucking well no <laughs> i can feel your anger michael <laughs> it makes you stronger gives you focus um okay next uh i think minari's next okay so that's the um one about koreans in arkansas that felt like that needed a movie cool <laughs> that should have been the title <laughs> coming to Arkansas. That would have been all right. I would have been okay with that. Um, I, I think Minari is an absolutely fine movie, and I don't mean that as an it's fine as in substandard. I mean it's fine right. as in it's it's very well made. It is it is almost like a fine art or a fine wine. It is very very distilled, and it is very much one thing. It is this singular story about this family, and it's told yeah. very well, and it's 
looks it's a very well directed movie there's some great camera work in there there's some beautiful scenery all of the things that an oscar movie maketh so it should it should be here it feels right that it's up for best picture especially being bolstered by that uh, director nomination and the nomination for yojong yun um this is probably the only other one that could trouble original score Mm. um although you know it's definitely going to be soul but that's that's just it outside of score and supporting actress um it's it's not in any other interesting or big categories it won't win actor it won't win director it doesn't have the push behind it to get to a best picture win and i i hate to say it because i it's you know it's three from the bottom in terms of likelihood but in terms of quality it's it's astronomically higher it's a mm-hmm. very well made and emotive movie and i think a lot of people especially in america where there is you know greater denominations of of quote-unquote minorities we, we we say minorities in terms of like the ethnic stuff but what we actually should be looking at is like the um the, like the population version so like britain we're we're very mostly white like it, it's very easy to say we're very mostly white and therefore anything else would be a minority although there are you know distillations of that in certain areas but you know america is a country born on immigrants that is, i mean it's something i had to learn through hamilton but you know it is true um so the story of an immigrant chasing the american dream in a time that i think a lot of people especially some of the more and i can't believe i'm going to say this because this sounds stupid but some of the younger voters on the oscars board because yeah young will mean being about 40 or 50 (laughs) um Mm, they will recognize this iconography they will recognize this idea of growing up and i think they will also recognize that that might have been a point in their life where they would start to, to have seen you know all a, a kind of a more of a melting pot of america of different cultures and races coming together to make this country founded on the backs of immigrants and that's what makes this feel like an important story and it serves to be here but the narrative isn't there it and i don't mean in the movie i mean in the award season it's not one where it needed to win it was it got it got a push when um the young boy alan kim i believe won a golden globe and he's he's like he's less than 10 years old and he gave such a lovely little speech about winning that award and i I felt like if that's going to be the thing it needs to give it the push to win anything else and it just hasn't happened outside of yujung young it's not happened so i just don't see it happening Fair Sorry, you mentioned Hamilton there. I played uh, Rachel the Hamilton poker yesterday. Um, <laughs> finally got to engage with Weird Al, as I've wanted her for, to do for years. Um, yeah, see, like the way you describe this to me, uh, it's how I described my feelings towards Inception, Inception even to you yesterday. Of like, it's great, and you don't deny that for a second, but it's just so clinical about it that it kind of doesn't really leave that room for nuance that makes you really love something. Like, I, I remember they'd said it on Top Gear, where it's like, you could admire a computer chip for how well made it is and how complex it is and all that great stuff, but it doesn't move you on the same way that, like, an amazing, like, like the Golden Gate Bridge does. That, like, you know, it it's, it's, doesn't have that character to it that kind of pushes it. As, as brilliant as it is on all, like, the individual platforms, there's that little special you know, for want of a better word, X-Factor, that je ne sais quoi that kind of, it 
doesn't have that it would need to really push for a, a win here. I don't even necessarily think that it's clinical. I, I think you could accuse the cinematography of being very simple and potentially mm. clinical. But I think the emotion in the story is there, especially between with that relationship between Alan Kim's character and Yojin Young's character. That friendship, rivalry, family bond, it is there. I just think in another year this would have done a lot better. It's just it's not what they wanted to go for this year. And that is just such a shame. It's such a shame. That's fair enough. So that is three of the eight down, and the two I've seen are still in the running. So what's next? Uh, I think this is where Judas and the Black Messiah gets off. Ah, okay. I thought it'd be higher. I did as well, but I'm looking over it, and I just don't think it's going to do it, which is a shame because I think now I go back and forth in my mind about this daily. It's between this and uh, one of the other films that you've seen. Well, actually, two of the other films you've seen, mm-hmm. although one of them came out last year. One of the films you've seen um, <laughs> in terms of what's going to be my number one for the year. Um, ah, right. Okay. So, you know, that's where I think Judas lies. It's either one or two or the at the minute. And we, we are four months into the year. We're a third down and it's it's staying there. It's an impeccable film. It is very well told. It gets the emotions right. It has the big performances that don't feel oversold. It has intrigue. It has relevant racial and social commentaries. It deals with some really, like, fucked up shit and and talks about the American government as they were at that time for the corrupt borderline murderers that they were. It It tells you the exact story it needs to tell you and it tells you it in such a way that is understandable, relatable. Um, It gets you angry. It makes you feel hopeful all at the same time. It does everything it needs to do. And then you look at what happened in supporting actor and you go, right, okay, the Academy just hate this film then, don't they? They (laughs) they just don't like it. They couldn't, like, they couldn't give, they they wanted to honor Lakeith Stanfield, but they they wouldn't be willing to admit that Daniel Kaluuya was the lead actor. They just aren't going right. for it. They aren't, and, and I'm not saying that they, um, you know, I put Minari behind this because I, I think Min- Minari is it's that it's, um, it's ambivalence. It's that they don't care about Minari. I think with Judas and the Black Messiah, they're like, we don't want to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah, possibly because it hits too close to home for some of these people. I don't mm. know, but they don't like it. They've, they've already agreed as has the rest of the world, that Daniel Kaluuya gave the best performance in a supporting role this year. And I agree. It is. It is easily the best one. But it got nothing else. It picked up absolutely nothing else. It is one of the least represented movies that had multiple nominations. In fact, did it pick up anything else at all other than Best Picture in those two? I'm just going to have to double-check my list. Ah, Original Screenplay, which, again, it has no chance of winning. So... Yeah, they didn't like it. They they didn't want to go for it this year because they've already decided who the winner is and it fucking breaks my heart because there's just so many good films in this. It's not as strong as last year. It wasn't like... You remember when it felt like it was... It could have... Anything could have happened on the night last year, whether mm. it was going to be 1917 or Parasite that took home that, that, uh, that Best Picture nomination. And it was like, either way, I'll be happy because either the best made film this year... 
or the best Korean film anybody's seen wins, and that's perfect. We don't have that this year. <laughs> We've got this collection of great movies, and then there's just the one that's been put on the pedestal, which we'll fucking get to. <laughs> oh, God, I'm looking forward to this. Oh, let your hate flow through you, Michael. Here we go. <laughs> right, um, so that leaves us with... Well, what's next? Uh, so I think above that is The Father. Okay, cool. That means my two favourites, the two I've seen, have made it quite high. I'm happy with that. Yep. Uh, the, this is the one. I, I was talking to you about this yesterday. I said there's one film that I outright love, hmm. and at the same time, I would not recommend to you in a fucking thousand years. <laughs> this is the I one. thought it was going to be this. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the plot of this one, right? I actually have no idea what it's about. Right, okay. Um it's all going to become apparent why I don't think you should watch this movie. Um, everybody listening at home, watch The Father. It comes out in like <laughs> June this year, I think. Um, I had to watch it through unscrupulous reasons and VPNs and such because it's just not available in the UK at the minute. It's not coming out until middle of the year. It seems like a weird summer movie because it's a mostly art house movie about dementia, but there we go. Um, oh, no. Yeah. So you've got – and I think if it – if anyone was going to dethrone Chadwick for lead actor, it would be Anthony Hopkins in this movie because mm -hmm. it is very much, it is about dementia and it is told from the perspective of the person suffering from it. It allows it to make some really bold decisions when it comes to changing the cast, when it comes to changing the locations and the sets. Um, and weirdly enough, this is also a movie that also comes from a stage play. It's also directed by the person who wrote the stage play, and this is his directorial debut. It's his first movie, and he knocks it out the fucking park. Damn. This is unheard of. Most stage-to-screen adaptations suck. I'll be real with you. Most of them suck. Most of them are better kept on the stage. This works so well as a film, I'm worried about watching it as a stage play. <laughs> I'm worried it won't be as good. I'm worried it won't have the same impact because you can play with reality more easily and possibly, I would argue, more effectively in a movie. Even with just subtle changes. Like in one of the scenes, uh, Olivia Coleman's character walks into the next room. She comes back as a completely different person and it's played like nothing has happened. And it is just this really beautifully told heartbreaking story of a man who is losing the grip on his own memory and uh, i didn't cry i've not cried at a movie for a long time mm. but i think if i'd had the connection to dementia that i think someone like you had had darren yeah i think this would have been this would have tipped me over the edge and i think right it's <laughs> This is why I wouldn't recommend it to you, because I think you've had that visceral experience with it that I think this would just hit way too close to home. And right. especially because it's told from the perspective of the person suffering it. And you're, he's the one who doesn't change. You're, he's the one that you're following through the entire thing. He's the one who you experience all these these unfounded and kind of hard to explain changes and odd side tangents into the story. And you And you feel like, hang on, we need to talk about that. And that's not the reality you're being presented with. And that's not what the people in the same room as you are saying. Because the thing that you've just talked about, the thing that you've just seen happen five years ago, or the thing that you've just, you know, you've just opened a door and it leads somewhere, but it's a cupboard. 
or you've just sat down for a meal, but guess what? It's time to sit down for the same meal because you're remembering the meal from last year. Right, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So to be fair, you've hit the nail on the. I have like I'm looking at Logan still in its wrapping because I haven't like gone back to watch that movie yet because Professor X's dementia thing hit too close to home the first time round. I'm just not ready to face that. So you might be right there. See, I thought you were going down the the caveman route. Whenever you say like Darren, I don't think you're gonna like this movie because <laughs> it doesn't appeal to my Neanderthal sensibilities, but that's fair enough. No, I I fully encourage anyone to go out there, especially if you haven't had an experience of dementia, trying to get some idea of what that's like. is actually quite beneficial. It might ease you into it should you ever have. Touch wood, it doesn't happen to you, but should it ever, you know, have you have some um, connection with it in your life at some point, having a little bit of prep- preparation from it might help. Like, the most I had was when uh, What's-His-Face from Coronation Street got it, and it was the most ham-fisted fucking <laughs> attempt at telling him, and uh, Mike Baldwin had it, yeah. and I'm like, oh, that, no, uh, that's not how that works. Um, you don't die in the street covered in rain after two weeks. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, 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 can, I can, it's weird for me to fully recommend watching a movie that I haven't seen, but uh, yeah, fair enough, but I will not watch that movie I'm good. No, no, no. You don't need this, Darren. Um, but yeah, I, I I agree with you. I've not had that cultural touchstone with it. I I don't have somebody in my family who suffers from dementia. And touch wood, I never do. But you know, I think if you're gonna sympathise with people who are suffering from that, who are going through that, losing the grip on their own past and their own reality. I'd like to think this movie can tell you something about that and make you better understand, you know, that the, the people with dementia aren't aren't just, you know, an invalid form of being. It's not just yeah. they deserve to be put in a room and left to rot because they're, you know, they they look like they're going crazy. They're trying to piece together their their mind is trying to stitch together the world they're in and they can't do it. And it's really sad. I I'm getting sad talking about this, and I watched the movie like two weeks ago, so right. I can't recommend this to you at all, Darren. No, that's fair enough. Like I I've since read up on it, and it's apparently like for the the dementia sufferer, it's it's much worse for the people um, around them than it is for the actual sufferer. Like for them, everything still kind of makes sense, so they're better. Like oh, that's that's really interesting because. When things change in this movie, um, Anthony Hopkins' his character, like, he has that moment where he's like, that was that, and now it's this. And then someone goes, no, remember this, Dad? And he just goes, oh, yes. And then, like, it moves on, you're, and you're, like, left reeling. Oh, now that you yeah. said that, that makes a lot of sense. That's really good. It does. Apparently, like, that's that's the thing. It's still, like, when it gets to late stage dementia, then, yeah, it, it isn't really holding anything together. But, like, the first few bits, they, you know... Crazy people don't think they're going crazy. That's a horrible analogy to use in this situation, but it kind of works because those dementia patients don't know. You know, they don't know they're confused most of the time. Mm. Like, really early on, they might catch it out, but for the most part, no. So there's that to hold on to, that the person who you might know with dementia isn't necessarily suffering all that much. It's everybody else that it's kind of a heartbreak for. Like, to be fair, again, touch wood, this never fucking happens. But if it does happen to me, it does mean I get to watch Star Wars for the first time again. <laughs> so, 
there's one there's some you gotta look for the silver linings in life michael you know what yeah, i mean like, I get yeah that's fine i get to watch the mcu from scratch again sweet <laughs> all right they're doing thanos like yeah you were there <laughs> oh what oh my da- i don't know if you see this movie but there's this documentary on the other day there was dinosaurs running around what <laughs> this doc look nice i want to go there this documentary. Oh, that I'm glad that everybody knows the context of that you've had first hand experience with this, otherwise we'd sound heartless as fuck right now. Awful. I mean we probably still do, but uh yeah, I'm like I feel like I've got my card that I'm allowed to talk about these things. <laughs> anyway um You like that bit in uh, Wayne's world where they keep showing the backstage pass. Yes, exactly that. Like let's see, I'm allowed. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> Look, as a straight white man, a song I'm going to mention again in a second, um, I uh, don't usually have a card to play, but here I do. Right, we're into the top three. Yeah. Now, annoyingly, I like the two movies that are left standing, but I know they're about to get bronze and silver medals, but yep. which one's bronze? Um, I'm just looking over the uh, nominations just to make sure I'm getting this the right way round because I think, I think our bronze position is going to be Promising Young Woman. Right, okay. And I say that even though he does, he has picked up an acting nomination, a directing nomination, an original screenplay nomination. Um, did he pick up anything for edit? He did pick up for editing. So uh, there's quite a lot going for it. It does seem like it has a really good chance. Um, but it's it's very controversial, Darren. Did you know it's very controversial? Um, what? Promising a woman? Yeah, incredibly so. Who knew? Where? Because people how, don't how? want to have the conversation, much like Judas and the Black Messiah. Right. They, they didn't want to have the conversation about race, but 2020 forced their hand. They really don't have the conversation about rape, Darren. It ain't, it ain't something they want to talk about. No, it isn't. Like, that's... It, this is what I really like about this film. It feels very of the now, but not in, like, an oppressive way. Not in, like... Like, don't, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I have some issues with it. But it feels very timely, but not so much that it feels like it's trying to shove its sensibilities down down your throat. Mm. It, it it tackles it in a in a, in a unique way that it, it doesn't really feel like real life necessarily. Like it is like a genuinely funny film, even though the subject matter you're tackling is. Um, rape yeah like it's not you don't see the rape but that's very much the shadow that holds over this entire movie mm. but the the way it goes about it makes you really i think it's a really good way to make people engage as a thought experiment really that it's not hitting you over the head you the main character isn't the rape victim no it's it's a different aspect of that i i really appreciate what it's trying to do in the way it's conveying its message I think what's what's interesting to note, just as a, an interesting tidbit before I get into my analysis, is we both succinctly managed to call this movie the movie that concerns rape. Uh, guess which word is never said at any point in the movie? Holy fuck, you're they right. They don't say it. They don't have to tell you because everyone fucking knows. And that's the point. That's why I really like this movie. Be- Holy shit. That's a good point. They don't have to tell you because everyone just complies. You, you're right they don't right so light spoilers for promising you mm-hmm. they they don't tell you so the the main character character mulligan's character it's a it's a it's a revenge movie like uh, this is why i'm surprised it got like a nomination because i think it's a subject matter that kind of turns its tide to make it oscar worthy although it is a great movie 
it, for the most part, it just feels like a good movie. Yeah. Not like a popcorn movie, because again, of that subject matter, but it's it's like an actual revenge film. Like, you know, I'm not it, like not like an 80s action movie because my god it's not that but you know it's got some of that sensibility of like we're not you know messing around with you know oh it's not like a like a minari or like a real true actors actors movie there is a plot there is a mechanism driving the narrative forward yep of we are we are ticking names off a list essentially um and and that feels more in line with like mainstream movies than it does necessarily Oscar contention movies. But I think that really helps the movie along that it is so enjoyable to watch, but yet it's still giving you stuff to think about. My God, this is a good uh, balancing act. Right. It's uh, this. I just think this is just such an impressive feat. I think, it, it, you know, it's already got a dark subject matter as it is. It then it subverts that by having, as we've talked about before, mostly comedic actors in the main roles. Mm. It subverts that again by never once telling you what the film's about and just, you know, giving you the nudges like, you know, you know, the conversation we're trying to have. I think, you know, never. And that's something that the Oscar movies are never good at doing, which is subtlety, because if it's Mm. if it's about something, it's about something. Um you'll hear us our thoughts next week about falcon and the winter soldier but uh, uh oh boy that last episode sure was about something wasn't it <laughs> <laughs> did you pick up on that michael yeah. <laughs> it was all in subtext you see you did do something i don't know what that is but you should do something like, oh fuck off <laughs> and... <laughs> um <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is great i can't wait for that episode <laughs> oh god uh yeah so um yeah, a lot of these movies. I mean, I'm just looking up the uh, the 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 acting nominations, which is you know where the vast majority of our best picture nominations also picked up awards. And like Ma Rainey, it's absolutely about the experiences of, of black people in the music industry. Um, the Father, it is absolutely about dementia. Minari is absolutely about the American dream. Mank, it's absolutely about very specifically the making of Citizen Kane. One One Night in Miami, it's very specifically about um a night in miami night. that happened <laughs> yeah that and also um you know the civil rights movement of the 60s so it's like the, it's it's very much the ron seal of uh, movie titles is what it's, it's not it is but it's not as ron seal as trial of the chicago seven that's like that's exactly what the film is yeah 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 um but yeah no but and, and yet somehow uh, this movie manages to not be as direct whilst at the same time be the most current biting analysis of the culture of protecting quite awful people that I think is so uniquely American, it's weird to know that this is a British-made movie. Right? Like, I didn't even, like, pick up on that until, like... I didn't mention this when you mentioned that um, she's up for Best Director, but... um... Emerald Fennel. It's weird that the best director appears in her own movie, giving instructions on how to do blowjob lips. Yeah, that's a weird one, right? <laughs> I, feel, I feel that's a first. I'd like to think that's a first. Um, it's, a, it's a year of first this year. We got, you know, Riz Ahmed is the, the first Muslim actor to be nominated, and, and uh, then we got the first blowjob lips tutorial from a director. <laughs> Thanks for the advice. Um, so it's, yeah, I, 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 like I, said, I do have some problems with it. I, I, I don't. I, I both admire the ending, but also don't 
fully like it. I'm weirdly like, same camp. Yeah, as I like, I, I, yeah. I like the risk they took. I don't think it works. <laughs> I, I I don't think it works compared to what it could have been. I think it thematically you do have to say it makes sense that and maybe again that points towards it more being going for Oscars than it is for like um, mainstream appeal necessarily that it has the ending it has. There is still some catharsis in there, but it feels like that's not necessarily what they're going for. They're going to tell you... like that, That's when its message like really hits home hardest. Of like it, it abandons some of its subtlety that it has to, to hit you over the head with the ending a bit. I, I still like the movie, and I still like the ending on some levels. I, just, I came away with a bit of a weird feeling. Maybe that was the point. Like yeah, I, I You, you to, come away feeling uncomfortable. I have to think that's the point, right? You are supposed mm. to come away feeling like this is that the, the revenge wasn't totally enacted, even though no. it technically was, and it just it just doesn't happen in the way that you expect it to. Yeah. Um, and weirdly, like I, I think about the Kerry Mulligan performance, and I'm reminded in that last in those last twenty minutes why Joker was nominated so much, because it it concerns a character that you are for the vast majority of the movie completely on side with and can excuse a lot of what they're doing. And then they go too far. And it does that in something because Joker was mostly talking about mental health. This movie is obviously talking about rape culture and somehow it took a more like what most people to consider to be a more volatile issue of, of the, of the rape culture, certainly in America and, and, and kind of go, yes, all of this but not this the very the what is supposed to be the well what is the intended final act of this character before what happens to her at the end of the movie and you go okay this is too much Mm. and that i enjoy that the, the movie pushes the boundaries absolutely wherever it can whether that is you know making you face the realities of what the movie is about or giving you a main character that is this such such an impressive vehicle for the commentary of what the point that the movie is trying to make and even yeah. then pushing that too far like holy hell <laughs> i'm so impressed i'm so 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 impressed. right right as you can tell we are very very high on this movie it is on score cinema right now if you want to go and watch it and i could not like there's so many things we haven't even like touched on yet like the opening scene um but the, the actual opening scene and then the raining men scene immediately afterwards was mm, really great. Good. Um, it's it's one of the only few movies that ever made me go, McLovin, no. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. The way that they kind of like, um, it spins on that, like it, it's very Tarantino mm. in that it's like, it it's very much like one argument and then there is a switch and it's a different discussion afterwards. It's, oh, it's so well done. It's so well done. And it's 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 up there, like oh, and I didn't even mention I get to sing a. I it allowed me my one and only chance to sing a mournful rendition of Straight White Man at the end. That was fun. <laughs> um, just a serenade, Bo Burnham with Straight White what? Man. Um, <laughs> was just wonderful. Yeah, it's it's up there in in my favorite movies I've seen so far this year. Is it as good as Godzilla vs King Kong? In short, no, but. <laughs> Didn't have a giant monkey, did it? So, eh, got that going against it. That's the thing wrong with the ending we referred to there. 
Um, but <laughs> yeah, they didn't put the monkey in it. <laughs> that, you see, that's what it was missing. You see, sometimes you want subtext, sometimes you want a giant monkey. Uh, you just gotta make that decision sometimes. Um, in, short, in short, six out of ten. Uh, <laughs> 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 so uh, that must mean for process yep. elimination that mm-hmm. the trial of the Chicago Seven you think is in silver medal position, but it's basically a race for second place this year. Pretty much, yeah. That that I mean, not that we get to know that because of you know the preferential ballot is done behind scenes. We don't get to know what's in second place. Um, Trial Chicago Seven is one that it started out so strong in the awards season, and it was like, you know, it's this big ensemble piece. It's about something that's relevant. You know, we're rediscovering. You know the 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 60s activism all over again as it turns out in 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 the 2020s i think we're going to see very similar events to that period in time as we push for social change as we pushed for the end of you know in this very specific instance the end of the vietnam war but it was about so much more than that um and it had all the right pieces in place. I mean, Mark Rylance has also won an Oscar. It's directed by Aaron Sorkin, who's also won for The Social Network for his, uh, I believe that was a screenplay win, I think. Mm-hmm. I know Aaron Sorkin was a screenwriter for he was a director anyway. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, obviously, up for an Oscar in this one. It's also up for film editing. It's up for cinematography. It is up for a original screenplay, and at least adapted um i believe that's it so it's it's up for about as many as promising young woman but because it's not as i can't believe i'm going to say this but it because it's it's a a bit fluffier than promising young woman it Mm. is a bit more accessible i think this would this is like the and i I don't want to compare it to green book because i think it's an infinitely better film than green book but what green book represented in its 2019 win is that it didn't give it to anything that was asking too many questions it gave to something that was a very straightforward movie and whilst i really like chicago seven it was number four in my 2020 countdown i really liked it and i love it i i I certainly think that sasha baron cohen is deserving of that uh, supporting actor nomination yeah nomination and win in my opinion it's just the the it has fallen off the bandwagon a little bit. Mm. It's certainly going to pick up technicals. I can see it picking up technicals, but I just don't see it. But that directing snub, I think, was the death knell for this movie. Right. Because it could have been Promising Young Woman, Nomadland, Minari, Man Control, The Chicago Seven, which is what everybody was expecting. And then Thomas Vinterberg for another round came and took that spot. Um Obviously, we don't know that's the case. We only find out the nominations as as they are. But most people think that it was that snub that went. And this is why the Academy won't give it best picture, because it's very it's it's almost unheard of. The only example I can think of is Birdman, where it didn't pick up for directing or wasn't nominated for directing and then went on to win best picture. It Mm. just isn't it isn't the done thing. Um, It's not to speak to the quality of the movie. I think had this come out this year and the the conversation was a bit more invigorating, I think this and Judas and the Black Messiah make very interesting companion pieces. Yeah. Um, and I think that would have bolstered both of them higher up the list. So I think that would have mean you would see a win for Trial of Chicago 7 and you would see Judas and the Black Messiah pick up some more of the technicals, which would be really nice to see. But it wasn't. Trial of Chicago 7 is... It's not the oldest movie on this on the list of all the movies that were nominated. I think that might that might be better days from the international feature film. I think that came that originally came out in 2019, so it's a real old movie. 
um in terms of the academy season anyway yeah but like you look at this i think it's this and mank i think are the oldest two and the rest came out afterwards and that's that's really not helped it out it, it, you've really got to be an absolutely and I, I i like the movie a lot don't get me wrong it's one of my favorites but you've got to be an absolute flat out brilliant masterpiece in much the same way that parasite was last year in order to do that in order to exist in this list for so long yeah and i just don't see it happening darren mm. and it's a shame because i think it out of realistically what would i want to win in my article i've said anything but nomadland here mm. i think i want to be but a bit more specific and i think i'm gonna have to split it down into three i think head is obviously what's coming next which we'll fucking get to um and then i think head heart as in like what i think would logistically win and what i hope would be trial of chicago 7 and heart heart which is probably won't win but i would love to see if it did would be promising young woman fair enough i think um but you've seen trial of chicago 7 so i have i i really liked it as well um i think it's i don't think it hit as as strongly as i think promising young woman did in that I, I, I did genuinely enjoy Chicago 7, and there's not a lot in it. But again, in terms of it, because it feels a bit more mainstream, I don't know if it's because it was a Netflix movie necessarily, but I mean, they picked up the win for Roma a few years ago, so that's not necessarily holding it back. But because it's just got like a really good cast, it's genuinely quite funny in parts, it feels more mainstream. But I don't think it then excels at anything over the top of that that puts it like as a strong candidate to win here you know what i mean like it's fine as just an enjoyable movie we both i mean me and rachel only went to watch it on the recommendation of yourself and we both came out of it going that was really good i'm glad we watched that everyone has a great turn in it good laughs makes you think a little bit all good but it, it does it have that one big sledgehammer blow that i think promising young woman does have that would get it across the line here I don't think it does. Like, it's perfectly fine to be an enjoyable movie, and that's all you are. We, I mean, we're very soon for a hundredth episode. We're going to be talking about movies of such ilk that they're just they're just fun to be around. But I I don't think it really has that real real special source to to hit it over the edge. As great as everything going into it is, it is exactly the sum of its parts, not more so than the sum of its parts. I think yeah exactly i don't think it does much like you said both of you enjoyed it and both myself and my wife thoroughly enjoyed it but i, I don't know what was your fiance's reaction to promising a woman because i am interested to know this now that we're having that discussion loved it really okay that's very really loved it she 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 came out of it um i think we we're both at the same i don't think she would necessarily liked it any more than the other one did um, but she came out of it and, and really enjoyed herself with it. I think she had similar thoughts on the ending that we did, of like, because it didn't give you that proper, like, satisfying ending. Not that 100%, you know, um, uh, what do they call it in Wayne's World? Um, but the super duper happy ending, I can't remember what it's called. Anyway. Oh, um, yeah, I can't remember. Damn it doesn't it. give you that, mm. um, but it, it gives you enough that she was happy with it. She, she really enjoyed it. It's interesting because me and the wife have a have a disagreement about promising your woman. 
Yeah, exactly. Knowing who my wife is as well. As well <laughs> yeah. You know, she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's 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 quite a big she's quite a big feminist, and she you know she goes to like the Chainmakers festivals, and she, she's very up on women's rights. And she said to me, "Promising a woman would be better if the male characters weren't so cartoonishly evil." And I was like, "I didn't get that, and I'm a man. That's interesting." <laughs> I kind just... of get where she's coming from, though. Like, yeah, it, this, that's that's what I find so interesting about Promising a Woman is that even the opinions of which I disagree with the conversation is almost better than the one outside that's being uh, conducted around Chicago seven because it's just, yeah, that's a good film. And that's yeah. it. There's no substance. But I think because, because it's like a historical movie of like very much from the seventies, like it, it doesn't feel like as like, it's still timely, I guess. Like it's still, we're still dealing with the same issues that came up in that um era but it doesn't feel as as of the time as promising young woman does so mm. i don't know if that robs chicago 7 of some of its impact that it's very much framed of like back then and not the here and now but mm. i do i can see where she's coming from i i they do i, I don't think they're making complete cartoon like villains but they are quite like men don't come out of that movie looking great no no none none of them really do think outside of oh yeah alfred molina's in the movie uh outside of alfred molina's character but even then you're set up like his character's backstory is just Mm. awful and oh no the more i think about it i think i should have put promising a woman higher makes you think because like i I thought her criticism was going to be because i had a little bit of this of like is this not like kind of trivializing the subject matter to turn it into like such an out and out revenge film that you kind of because it's not really going for that acting heft that you see in other movies is that not robbing the the story of the weight it kind of deserves but i think it's actually the reason i didn't bring that up is because i think the way they've done it here actually serves the conversation better as a as a thought piece than it would be as you know, a, a very serious indie drama. I imagine there's lots of those out there, but they're not getting talked about. You know what I mean? Does, no. does that mean that they're adding to the conversation? It's very much a tree falling in the woods at that point. You know what I mean? Like, yes, this has a bit more of a, a bit more fun about it in some aspects. I don't think they really make fun of the, of the bad stuff in it. Like they, 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 they find holes for fun where they can that it doesn't detract from the overall message and the theme which again very deft handling of that from the directing point of view um yeah uh, uh, somehow we've managed to turn a review of trial of the chicago seven back into another examination of promising young woman <laughs> do you want to make that switch now mike or do you want to put it above uh I think is, is it this is a this is a what you think will win so That's fair true. enough that doesn't really yeah. play into it here admittedly yeah, and, and it's not like Chicago 7 has no substance. I, I think specifically about the scene where Bobby Seale is bound and gagged in the courtroom mm. and about how much of a point that is making visually. Like, that is... It's quite a striking image that that is, A, how a defendant was allowed to be treated, B, exactly how dismissed the, the voice of a black man was in the face of a very white judge... Uh, and see just how, how how much of an embellishment, not an embellishment, but 
an overreaching act of the law that that was in general to the the changing mindsets of the era and something that does ring true now it it does feel like you know just because the conversation is about global warming instead of the vietnam war it doesn't mean any less that that in the eyes of the law and the media that these people are seen as to be disposed with it the the subject it's all the same only the names have changed <laughs> Do not get me on board with Bon Jovi, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, here's my one weakness. Um, right. I think it's time. La, 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 la. <laughs> no, sorry. I'm trying to... I just want to have one last moment of joy before I have to talk about Nomadland. Just enjoy it. Think of all your happy things. Again, we might get a new Marvel trailer tomorrow, so that's... They very well do. That's very good. So here it comes. Now, you might remember a few years ago that... Basically, the same thing happened, but to me, where I knew Shape of Water was going to win, and I think that's one of my least favourite movies of all time. A true fucking cinematic abortion. I hate that movie. It is abhorrent to me on every level, and yet it won. Get ready for the reverse. Michael, (laughs) tell the ladies and gentlemen about Nomadland. I can't, Darren. Oh, really? I I can't tell the ladies and gentlemen about Nomadland. Why is that? Because nothing fucking happens! <laughs> I got a preview this yesterday. I'm just going to shut up and let you go. Oh, boy. I I detest this movie to the very core. And let me be frank. It's not as bad as Phantom Thread. I think Phantom Thread is, like, in terms of the Oscar conversation, is just flat out a fucking abortion of a movie. <laughs> what Nomadland is, though, is a total absence of a movie there isn't a movie to speak of here nomadland is a non-entity it's based on a non-fiction book that was a selection of uh, conversations and experiences from these nomads so to speak um who were people of a mostly older generation that uh, decided that after some financial insolvency based around the um financial crisis of 2007 to 2009 to live in vans and basically not have a house and not have a permanent state of being and live on the fringes of society and on very small, often unworkable um, amounts of money that in itself would have made for an excellent documentary. It's just a shame. This is being billed as a fucking drama because then you're, you're, you're left with like the, the heft of, um, well, it's, you know how like a black hole technically because of gravity is heavy even mm. though it is the absence of all things yeah. in walks francis mcdormand um <laughs> who i love i think she's great not in this film because this character doesn't go anywhere she physically goes places <laughs> sure like she goes to a meeting of other nomads she goes to different parts of the country she goes to a man's house at some point if you like houses that's the scene to look out for because that's the only one in the fucking film um and it's just it is just nothing happens there is no resolution there is no setup there is no payoff nothing happens the main plot of francis madonna's character is supposed to be that she's you know, newly coming into the nomad community. She's learning about this way of life. She's starting to reject her previous ways. And you're supposed to be dealing with the grief of A, she lost her husband. B, she lost her home. C, her town went bankrupt. They think they tie that up. That's cute. 
That's real fucking cute. They have a scene at the... I don't mind spoiling this movie, by the way. If you're in any way interested in indie filmmaking, I highly recommend you watch a different indie film. But, like, this is the only one in the fucking circuit at the minute. So, this is the one you dealt with. You got Disney Plus, look out for it. Um, But the ending is they go back to the dead town. And it's supposed to be like this emotional send off to she finally lets go of the grief or she doesn't. We don't know, mainly because nothing happens and you can't tell either way. It's not resolved. The grief isn't explored. There's a there is like the eking of the head of some kind of dramatic through line where she goes to the home of this other nomad because he goes back to visit his family who, you know, actually have a house. And there's this there is this scene. And it's the only good scene where she's offered to stay in what is essentially like the granny annex at the back of the house. Like she would have her own permanent abode and she turns it down. Most people see that as like, you know, this acceptance of this way of life. What it is, though, it is a total rejection of having a character arc because she starts depressed with no money, working a shitty job um, and still feeling immense grief for the life she's lost she ends the movie uh still depressed still grief for the life she's lost still working a shitty job hang on nothing happened did it like we sat here for an hour and 40 and nothing fucking happened did it actually it's longer than that i think it's a two-hour movie and nothing happens it was a devoid of a plot not to mention the uh, now This is one of the things I wanted to talk about with this movie. The people in it outside of Francis McDormand and there is another character whose name escapes me and I don't care to look up who are (laughs) fictional people. They are totally invented for the sake of drama. They do not exist. Everybody else in the movie is a real person playing a fictionalized version of themselves. It would be a very interesting thing to do. Had you told the people you were making a drama and uh, not a documentary... Uh, because there there are accounts of people who appear in this movie who, uh, during scenes with Francis McDormand, thought they were making a documentary, thought they were getting to tell their story, thought, that, and, and you know, in a way, they did get to tell the current events of their life, the way that they live in their van, the way that their living space is, you know, possibly the size of a bed with a little bit more space with a bucket to shit in. And yes, we get to see that bucket shitting in action, ladies and gentlemen. The view of Francis McDormand, you never wanted, you got anyway. Uh, Every mortal thing. The soundtrack, fuck off. It's, you know, like... You know what? On the sliding scale of, like, having things that are a singular piano piece, it's, on one end, there's uh, Breath of the Wild, an untitled Goose Game, and on the other end, there's this shit... It's just the same fucking song every time there's a transition. And don't come at me with that, oh, it's a meditation on this. What you say, when you say something is a meditation on something, you mean something is presented and not discussed and not explored and not embellished. It is just shown. Movies aren't supposed to be just showing things you are supposed to show what happens to your character yes but you can't just go here's a person wasn't that a great movie that's not a film that's not a story that's not a fucking drama it's not a good movie why is everybody up this movie's ass it is just i don't it feels like last year we had the okay we gave it to a foreign language feature this movie this year it feels like okay we're giving it to the indie film Next year, what do we give it to? The documentary, maybe? 
because I don't think a documentary run Best Picture. I would much rather have Collective win over this whilst we're having that discussion. What else is it up for? Adapted screenplay. I would argue there wasn't a screenplay to fucking begin with because you've just given Francis McDormand a fucking camera and gone out into the wilderness and called that a piece of fucking work. It's not work, is it, though? Uh, what else is it up for? Let's have a look. Uh, it's up for directing. It's non-existent. The camera is static most of the time. It doesn't do anything interesting. I think we got one tracking shot of Francis McDormand in the entire movie and even then shaky as shit. Yeah, sure, we get to have that really nice scene of her going into work at the Amazon warehouse where it looks like everybody is, you know, fed up with their entire fucking lives, much like the audience. Um, what else is up for? Editing. Non-existent. It just, there is no trans, like the transitionary sequences are just like, it's more sad piano and footage of a van. The Like, you know how like um, George Lucas enjoys star wipes? It's exactly like that. Well, you know, everything is a fade. Like, everything is a van. Oh, God. Uh, okay. It was up for Best Picture, which we've already talked about. And that's, I think that's all it's up for. And that's, uh, I think that's all I can, all I can muster, to be honest. This is, without a doubt, one of the worst movies to be, to be nominated for Best Picture. Um, it's certainly of the, of the time that I've been doing this experiment of watching all the movies. I can tell you that I think there's only one worse than it. And mm-hmm. it is the international feature film Better Days, which was a um, Chinese slash Taiwanese um, like joint double thing. And that's only because it was just completely fucking inept. Like it just didn't work. The fact that Nomadland holds together as a film is its only commending point. The fact that it it doesn't fall apart as a literal piece of linear storytelling is the only nice thing I have to say about it. Every single film, including the shorts, including the documentaries, including the animated, including all of the ones that only got one nomination. I'm picking from the list of the ones that only got one nomination here that are better films and actually deserve to be in here more than Nomadland. Love and Monsters, really good, nice visual effects. Um, The White Tiger, really interesting story, nice slow burn to it. Uh, What else? Uh, Collective, we've already talked about. Time, interesting look into... um, you know the the judicial system specifically when it involves um african-american people yeah really interesting let's have that in here you know what i'll take hillbilly elegy i will take hillbilly elegy because i quite enjoy glenn close even though it was hammy as shit it told an interesting story about having to leave your family behind to become the person you're meant to be you know what that's a narrative through line that's intrigue that's a story fuck this film I mean, you could have included Godzilla vs. King Kong in there as well as the cinematic powerhouse that that is, but there we are. Not animated. Um, <laughs> I know. So, well, I'm trying to think of a bright side here for you, Michael, but I have one. Um, at least this was set in America, where at least there's a little bit of romance about this, whereas if it was in Britain, it'd be a load of caravan parks, and I don't think that would carry the same weight to it. Um, it would have a different feel, feel to it, wouldn't it? It'd be, it'd be more like... Uh, it wouldn't be trying to be like this big meditation on... On crisis, it'd be more like, look at these fuckers, I bet they're doggers. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. So, at least there's that. I mean, so, so Phantom Fred was... How long bad. did I go for? I feel, I feel slightly that woozy. It was 10 minutes straight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Phantom Fred was bad, but this is just the absence of good. Or the absence of anything. This is That's exactly it. It's the absence of of any form of creativity. It's... It is a non-entity, and it's so much harder to 
I mean, I just I just ranted for 10 minutes and I don't feel like I don't feel like I'm even scratching the surface of why this movie is just such a vacuum of anything. At least with Phantom Thread, they were trying to tell this weird story. I I know in my heart of hearts, Phantom Thread is way worse. But they told a story. I didn't like any of it, but they told the fucking story. Right. This isn't a story. This isn't a drama. This should have been a. Do- this would have been an interesting documentary. I think if there is a documentary about this nomadic community, I would like to see it because I think the movie raises some interesting questions that it just doesn't provide any answers to. Mm. It is <sighs> this whole like it's a meditation or it's a snapshot of this. It's like. Yeah, a picture can tell a thousand words, but it helps if you say the thousand words along with it. Jesus, fuck. So, I mean, I guess you don't really have an answer for this in terms of your feeling towards the movie, but why is it then your number one choice to win the Best Picture Oscar tonight? I mean, you've got to look at the 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 narrative being built around it. You look at where it's been nominated and it's hitting all the major ones for ones that would win Best Picture. Directing nomination, uh, it has an acting nomination. If, it, if you have both a directing and an acting nomination, you're instantly higher up the list. I know I put Mank bottom, but that's because it's not that good. Um, mm. But then it start, it's, it's picking up on screenplays, picking up on some of the technicals. Uh, it is kind of scatter shooting across the board, but it's not just the Oscars it's picking up in. It's picking up in the um i think it picked up at the golden globes the critics choice um writers guild a couple of other places it's picked up it it's picking up in the right places whoever's doing the campaign for this award season for this movie they they've earned every penny i tell you now they've done such a bang-up job in getting this in front of the right people um and it's not even that i think chloe joe is particularly a bad director I wouldn't know. I don't think I've seen a film by Chloe Zhao. Well, that was going to be my next question. Exactly how worried are you now for The Eternals? Because we've been sold the idea of The Eternals, which is being directed by Chloe Zhao, um, was pitched as the best movie, the best movie pitch that Kevin Feige has ever heard for a Marvel movie. Now, you have to consider the movies that man has been pitched. That man has been pitched Endgame, and he thought Chloe Zhao's pitch for Eternals was better. So, I, I don't know, like, should I therefore trust more in Feige, or should I now be worried that, you know, we're in the minority. People seem to like Chloe Zhao movies, and we're just not going to be those people. I think there's a couple of things to consider there. One, I once flew a camel to the moon. Yeah, um, true, true, true. Two... The, you look at the budget between these two movies, between Eternals, which is going to be a multi-million dollar movie from from Disney, basically. And, you know, you can afford to do anything on Disney money, whereas this is very much a very shoestring budget movie. Like I said, it would make for a very impressive student film, but not much else. Um, I don't think they are directly comparable. The bit that makes me very worried about the Eternals going forward now is that is because Nomadland, because it's based on this non-fiction book, and then they've turned it into this pseudo drama, I guess. Is that is that Chloe Zhao's vision, and is that why she's up for directing? Because if Nomadland is Chloe Zhao's vision of the book Nomadland, 
her vision of the Eternals is going to be very emotionally distant, which you would think would work for that collection of characters. You know, they are essentially like demi deities, I think, in the books. Am I, am I mm. saying the right thing here? I don't fucking know. Um, but like, you can't make a movie like that, especially a Marvel movie, and not have characters that you can either relate to or empathize with and understand. Thanos is the best example of that. You're not supposed to be on his side. You aren't supposed to want to see him win. And when you do, still feels thematically relevant and you do understand why he made the decisions he did and he is the protagonist of infinity war Mm. that's what makes me worried is that if we can have the empathy for a villain in that way and we're then being introduced to an entire new team there's like nine of these fuckers yeah, yeah, something like that. And we're supposed to get on side with all of them in the course <laughs> of one film, and she can't get, and Chloe Zhao can't get me to get on side of an actress I already like. And not, he's not, not trying to get you, yeah, not trying to get you on side with Kunal Nanjiani. <laughs> yeah, oh god, and he's turning up in Obi One now. So, oh, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> please tell me he's coming in as Jar Jar. That would be really oh, funny. <laughs> wouldn't that be delightful? Well, thank you for that, Michael. That was truly beautiful. Um, I did just want to have a quick look. Uh, the Razzies was last night. Um, just wanted to check up on that. Uh, the, somehow Doolittle didn't win Worst Picture. That amazes me. Wow. Uh, okay. That went to something called Absolute Proof, uh, which Never also picked it. up the Worst Actor for Mike Lindell, who beat out Adam Sandler in Huey Halloween. Jesus. Because um, <laughs> oh, I, I wow. remember it was going to... I think it's happened before, but there was a chance that Glenn Close was going to win Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars and Worst Supporting Actress at the Razzies. She didn't. Uh, it went to somebody in music. So that's good. Oh, is... I've heard bad things about that movie. It's the Sia... Um, Sia uh, doesn't understand autism, the movie. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I actually like the main song, but I don't think... Does that make me a bad person? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, just, just one quick one. The worst on-screen combo went to Rudy, Rudy Giuliani and his pants zippers. Um, so, nice. good job, the Razzies. Uh, right. Well, that was wonderful. Um, are you looking forward to tonight? Are you, are you hopeful that, you know, good awards are going to go to the right people, or are you a bit apprehensive that it might be a bit of a... A bit of a letdown of an Oscars. I don't even think I'm apprehensive. I think it will be a letdown of an Oscars. I don't think we're going to get something much like the 2020 Oscars again for a good while now. Mm. My my opinion is that, and I saw this last year, especially like in the shorts, which is why the, the, the predictions I've made in the shorts this year are just the most obvious choices, because that's what most of this feels like. This year feels like there hasn't been much movement. There's... Just in a leading role could go either way. There might be an upset with actress and supporting. And then outside that, I don't see anything really going the way I don't. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see any of my heart picks winning outside of those two categories. Like, I think you could potentially some of maybe some of the technicals. So, like, potentially there could be an upset in visual effects. Potentially there could be an upset in cinematography. But, you know, all of the shorts, sound, international, um, the documentaries, certainly both of the acting ones, uh, the male acting ones, directing, best picture, costume, it's all going to go the way I think it is. I genuinely think I could put money on it and not lose a penny. I, I just think it's the most predictable 
just everyone's just going through the motions year we've had in a good long time you know at least in the year that green book won nobody thought he was going to like everyone was like yeah that's a perfectly fine movie but it's not best picture and then it won best picture and everyone got real but hurt that was at least something that happened and something to look forward to i don't think we're gonna get that this year i just don't see it happening maybe next year will be interesting that's the weird thing though is that like we got less films nominated last year in terms of the total amount of movies nominated and this feels less like diverse this doesn't feel as like like there's any drama to happen during this award ceremony it's just right well you know you've won this right well we know we're giving it to that because the guilds have already said so because this has already said so yeah i don't know i i i would i I will eat i will buy a hat and eat it if nomadland does not win best picture and best director at the very least looking forward to that uh and you can look forward to more from feral entertainment uh coming up very soon we will have a review of um i i realized i kept calling it captain falcon and then having to like stop myself i realized that's because of smash bros now um (laughs) yeah the falcon and the winter soldier which wrapped up uh on friday we will have a review for that next week and then after that it's gonna get special around here it is uh we will have officially reached 100 episodes of popscorn um i'd like to be like have this big uh this big moment where it's like we finally did it i'm pretty sure that when we did our old podcast we got to 100 episodes as well but we did nothing special for it um so we're going to do something special for this which is uh going to be real interesting uh mainly because the facade of like competent film reviewers that we give is going to very quickly dissolve away over the course of two <laughs> well, hours. At least you've just had your big, I've watched all the Oscars party thing happen. So your credibility at the minute is a uh, sky high. I've just said that Godzilla vs. King Kong was a better movie than Promising Young Woman. So I feel I don't know how much lower I can go personally, but um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll give it a good fucking go. Because, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be as indulgent as fuck. So look forward to that. Um, but yeah, we're going to have that coming up uh, right after we've done the Falcon and the Winter, uh, Winter Soldier episode, which will be coming to you very shortly. That will be next week. Uh, you can also go to com right now and go and read my article, breaking down my head and heart picks for all 23 categories. I know this seems like a long episode, and that's because it is, because I have a lot of thoughts about the eight categories we talked about this year. Was it yeah. eight? Oh, yeah, that was that was it. Yeah. Good God. Uh, yeah, it's not as spelt as last year, but uh, I had thoughts. Um, so yeah, if you want to see more thoughts for the uh, the further categories, then please do go and read that. In the meantime, though, you can go and find me on Twitter and Instagram and at that Mike Owen. You can go and find Darren on Twitter and Instagram and at the Guttridge. You can find the site on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook under the username FowlyNT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud or wherever you can pick up an RSS feed. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Popscorn. I, I think this is episode 98 of Popscorn. I hope so. <laughs> otherwise we've counted wrong i'm barely certain it is um we will see you next week for the falcon the winter soldier and then for our 100th episode spectacular thank you very much for listening bye everybody bye, bye.